And uh, turning to the explanation of God's word. I can stop shouting. The, uh, the sound has come on. So uh, Acts 16, starting in verse 11, we'll be reading to verse 15 as we continue in Acts. The scriptures uh, say that, So setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace, and the following day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in this city some days, and on the Sabbath day we went outside the gate to the riverside, where we supposed there was a place of prayer. And we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia, from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized, and her household as well, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. Let's pray and ask God for the blessing. Um, which he gives. Let's thank him for the blessing that he gives us through his word. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity to read your word and to be encouraged by it. We pray, Lord, that we would give good attention to it, that as we hear the words that are spoken, we would allow you to reorient our minds. Lord, what your scripture says is true is true, whether we believe it or not. Every single human being on the planet holding their breath and stomping their feet cannot change the truth of your word no matter what we believe. And so we pray that you would change our thinking. Father, change what we love. Change what we delight in. That we might delight in you and in your way. And Lord, we pray that in your way, Father, that you would challenge and shape our thinking in a way... that you don't take away what is essential to us, but that you use us, Father, according to the way that you have shaped us, challenged us, disciplined us down through the years, that we would be exactly who you want us to be, who you created us to be, Lord, that we would no longer live for our own glory, but would live for yours. Father, I pray if there's anyone here this morning who has not put their faith and trust in Christ, I pray that they would put their belief in you, in the cross of Christ, for the paying of their sins. Father, and I pray for those of us uh, who perhaps have grown dull in our sharing of your word. Perhaps we've lost the fire. Perhaps we've never had it. Perhaps we've allowed intimidation to silence us. May we open our mouths to speak your word to those who need to hear it, Lord. We pray this by your grace and for your glory. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Well, I want to thank you, uh, before I begin, for uh, the opportunity to, uh, to, to take a week off and to visit some friends. I, I got to go and to visit with my mentor, uh, his his uh, youngest daughter graduated from high school, and so uh, I thank you um, for for your trust in, in letting me go. I'm I'm grateful to uh, have had a friend in the pulpit. He'll be back. Uh, when you pick a guest speaker, many times you you pick them uh, not just for what they will say. Uh, many times, if you if you set up the expectation that they're going to say something, you'll be disappointed. Because uh, they don't often say exactly what you want them to say. You, you pick a guest speaker in, in part um, because of what you know that they won't say. Um, you know, certain, certain things that would be unhelpful to you or, or, or pull you back. Um, I'm glad I heard a report that Reed stayed in one place and did not roam around like a wild animal. I appreciate that. Uh, I, 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 
I, I appreciate that he does not incite disrespect to your pastor by encouraging you to send me nasty emails about things like if the PowerPoint verses didn't come up. Um, if no verses come up this morning on the screen behind me, you can send Reed a nasty email. Did he point out the eating habits of our members? Uh, Mark, did he say that whenever he saw you, you were eating food? Did he do that? Yeah. I don't suppose that's too out of line, is it? Um, how many people raised their hands when he asked if you actually listened to the sermon? You folks, I was away, and I'm listening, and you're laughing, and having a good old time, huh? I am going to have to talk to him about his use of outdated expressions like getting jiggy with it. <laughs> I strongly suggest, or I suspect that maybe he has a Will Smith playlist on his iPod, which, uh, I don't know, maybe we can be colleagues, but close friends, I don't know if I want to identify myself with that. In all seriousness, I'm, I, I appreciated his message. Um, at many points during his message, I found myself saying yes, that is true, that is good, and I preached that as we went through Acts. So, uh, praise God, it's, it's good. I appreciate you uh, welcoming him, encouraging him, and making him feel comfortable. Uh, on, on Father's Day, uh, we, we celebrate the, um, the blessing and the responsibility of being fathers to physical children. Uh, we also have an opportunity to turn our minds to the spiritual dimension behind the symbol. I believe that, that the fathering role, though it is important and though it is uh, significant in the shaping of the lives of those entrusted to every man who is a father, it is a symbolic relationship and behind the physical relationship of fatherhood and behind the spiritual task of fathering, there is the image of the fatherhood of God, which is to be lived out and experienced. And, and when we think of our own physical father, when we think about the task of parenting, if we are blessed to be a father, there are many analogies to be drawn to the realness of God's fatherhood of us. In the scriptures, we are taught that God is the creator of all men. And so in one sense, when people say we are all the children of God, that's true. But the scriptures also teach in the realist sense that we are not all the children of God. Jesus draws this out clearly in John chapter 8, verse 44, when he tells the Pharisees and those who are opposing him, he says, you do the things you do because you are of your father. They thought that their father was Father Abraham, the founder of the nation, the first man of faith in, in their nation. But Jesus points out that if they were truly Abraham's children and the children of God, that they would do the works of Abraham. They would respond like Abraham did. And Jesus says in John 8, that you are of your father, the devil. Because of their behavior, it gave evidence of their spiritual state. If we were of his father, of his heavenly father, we would do his work. Jesus says in John chapter 6, verse 40, this is the will of my father, that everyone who looks on the son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day day. To be connected to God the Father as our true Father is to live lives of humble, joyful, repentant obedience to our Father. That's what determines whether we have a true connection to Him. All humanity is created in the image of God. And so can say in some sense that God is our Father, but in the realist sense, Humanity is divided into two portions. Those who own a true relationship with their father 
and those who are separated from their father, whom their father is seeking to bring back into relationship with him. I think that, that puts on our shoulders as the sons and daughters of God. The scriptures say in John 1.12, but to all who did receive him, speaking of, of Jesus, to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. A certificate with a signature, spiritually speaking, we can say we know that we are the children of God because we have received him. We believe in his name. We respond to our shepherd when he speaks to us because we are his sheep. His, my, my sheep, Jesus says, hear my voice and they follow me. The children of God, we've been given the ministry of sharing the gospel with those who are separated from the Father. And so on Father's Day, let me encourage you, brother, sister in Christ, to rekindle in your heart that which brings your Father and his servants in heaven the greatest joy. The Bible says that there is more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than in 99 who need no repentance. Just a, a little bit of spiritual math for you. There is no such thing as 99 who need no repentance. They do not exist. All of humanity needs to come back into relationship with God and to repent. And when a human being comes to God and repents, heaven rejoices. Let me encourage you this morning to be challenged, to renew your habit of pursuing spiritual conversations with people. And if you're here this morning and you've never put your faith and trust in Christ, you, you, you follow God, you do spiritual things, you seek to be good, let me challenge you to, to receive and believe the idea that being good and doing spiritual things and believing in God is not enough. Let me demonstrate that as we move through the scriptures. As we connect back up with Paul, he has had a vision of a man in Macedonia calling him and saying, come over here and help us. He was, he was experiencing a season of unfruitful ministry. He was traveling and trying to share, and he found himself blocked and prevented at different points by the Holy Spirit. And the, the Holy Spirit kept on moving him on over and over again. And, and when he arrives in the city of Troas, he sees a vision of a man saying, come and help us. And so he gets on a boat and he sails about 100 miles by, by boat to Troas. And, and there, I mean, to, to Macedonia and, uh, and, 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 and to, to pursue the place where he believes that God is, is urging him to speak. He answers the call. Uh, we, we jump in, verse 11, it says, setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace, Nothing significant there. The following day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. Travel. He's, he's moving around. Notice it says in, in verse 12 that we remained in this city some days. When, when good things are happening, when people are coming to Christ, when they're responding to the gospel, when the gospel is, is being proclaimed, Luke points that out to us. We've seen that in our study. Notice it just says we remained in this city some days. This is a, a place of gospel barrenness. The opportunities just don't seem to be there. As Paul and his team go through their daily life, perhaps they're just not making connections. They're not encountering significant opportunity to share the gospel. Isn't it the truth that life is not often what we expect? Life doesn't always work out the way we plan. It's a, it's a saying, and it's a saying for a reason, that men plan and God laughs. Uh, we set out our, our, our life and we say, this is exactly how, how it's, it's going to work. You know, I, I find that if, if you want to enjoy a season free of snow, get a snowblower and a snow shovel when they're all available at Lowe's or Home Depot. And that will guarantee that in the providence of God, there will be no snow this season. Allow your snowblower to not be maintained 
or do not maintain your snowblower. I'll take personal responsibility. Allow your snow shovel to be broken, and I guarantee you it will snow because you have, you have not planned for it. Life doesn't often happen the way that we expect. Paul and the others had responded to the call. They had, they had seen the Macedonian man say, come and help us because there is much spiritual need. But when they go and they answer that call, they do not experience much fruit. Life is like that, brothers and sisters. If you are faithful to your evangelistic calling and you are sharing the gospel, you will find that oftentimes you go through periods when no one responds. What is the response of the Christian when this happens? To give up? No. To hold on and keep on sharing. I believe that there is a difference between a lack of divine appointment. You recall divine appointment from uh, Acts chapter 8 where Philip was on the road and he, he had been impelled to go there by the Holy Spirit. And, and as he was traveling on the road, he was, he was walking and chariots were going by and the Holy Spirit said to him, this chariot, join this chariot. And he shared with a man who was ready to receive. And, and that man then headed south into Ethiopia and evangelized. There's a difference between a lack of divine appointment and giving in to the world and the flesh and the devil and being either intimidated into not sharing, what will people think of me if I identify myself as one of those Jesus people? There's a difference between a lack of opportunity, true spiritual opportunity, and being intimidated. There's a, la- there's a difference between a lack of opportunity and saying, I just don't feel like sharing. The difference between the lack of divine appointment and giving in to the flesh is that even when there is lack of appointment, we continue to share. In the parable of the four soils, otherwise known as the parable of the sower, Jesus says that the sower went out to sow, and he sowed the seed, and it landed on ground, and some of it landed on hard ground by the path, and the birds ate it up. And later on, he'll explain that the birds are the devil, who, as the word of God is sown, that the devil snatches it up. And some lands in rocky ground, and that rocky ground is the hard heart that that is not willing to receive the teaching and considers it and abandons it. Uh, That that there's weedy ground where, where suffering and the cares of this world distract from obedience to the word. But there's a fourth soil, and when the seed hits that ground, it grows because it's ready and willing to receive the word. The difference in all those four soils, there are, there are three which are bad and one which is good, which responds, the difference is not the consistency of the word being sown or the goodness of the seed. The seed is good and it is sown consistently. It's who is receiving that word which makes the difference. And so I believe this is Paul in this region. He's like, I want to share with this person, and that person just kind of doesn't respond, or he wants to share with that person, or he's looking for a place to preach, and he can't find any good opportunities, and so he's seeking, seeking, and sowing, and seeking, and nothing's happening. And perhaps he's, he's feeling intimidated, but what he's not doing is holding back and not sharing. So many times as Christians, we get into this bunker mentality, right, where we're like, I retreat to church on Sunday, And here I am, and I get all filled up so I can go out and survive this week. Instead, the mentality ought to be this. I go, and I get filled up, and I receive God's word, and I devote my attention to God's word, and then I go out and I share, and I I pass on what I've heard. I pass on the word to those who need to hear it. I give it forth, because that's what, what God has called us to. Now, let me just share an an, an encouraging story. You might be one of these people who are like, what can I do? Uh, I'm not an evangelist. Uh, I've not led a whole bunch of people to the Lord. I I just 
You know, that's not me. I'm not that person. I'm sitting in evangelism class in seminary, and, and a guy raises his hand, and he asks this question, and the guy is not me, by the way. This is not one of those stories where it's like, my friend has this problem with warts all over his head, and it's like, your friend is you, isn't it? Just, just admit it. It's you. Um, you're just, you're not bold enough. This, 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 he's actually my friend. I could share his name, um, but I don't, I don't feel like it. Uh, he's not me. Really, he's not me. And he raises his hand, and he says, he says, I share the gospel constantly, and no one ever comes to Christ. What am I supposed to do? Should I be in ministry? And my evangelism professor, Dr. Jones, no, no hat, no whip, just Dr. Jones, Bill, Dr. Bill Jones, not Indiana Jones, um, he, he says, now Dr. Jones, is this, he's this guy. Whenever you see him, he's like leaving seminary campus. Right? You flag him down in his car and you'd be like, Dr. Jones, you know, I need to ask you this question. Or you see him in the hallway and you're like, can you wait for a minute and let's talk about something? Or can I come into your office? His calendar's always full because he's always closing the deal with people. He's like, I met this guy on a plane. We we're coming back to Columbia. I was coming from this conference. I'm sharing the gospel with him. I'm meeting with him for breakfast, breakfast this morning. He's going to come to Christ. And that, that, that was, this is how he's wired. Right? And he was always, we'd always be like, where are you going? Who are you going to save? That kind of stuff. Because this was his life. His whole life is, is oriented this way. Uh, this was his response when my friend asked this question. What if no one ever comes to Christ? He said this. He said, I love people like you. I love you. Keep doing what you're doing. He said, because I cannot tell you how many times I'm sitting on a plane next to someone and I'm showing them from my Bible what the gospel is, or I'm drawing it out on a napkin at some event somewhere, and someone says, my brother-in-law has been telling me all about this for years. Or my wife keeps telling me that I should consider this. Or my coworker has been sharing with me. And he says, you set everything up so that I can come in and urge them to come to Christ. Paul says this in one of the Corinthian letters, I think it's 1 Corinthians, that we ought not to say that our allegiance is to Peter or to Apollos or to Paul, because those people are nothing. The individual workers who do the work, it all adds up to one thing, that Paul planted and Apollos watered, but God caused the growth. We're all in this together, brothers and sisters. So as you're out there sharing the gospel, you might be sharing so that somebody else will finally get a hearing. Your job is to, to share in such a way that Christ's reputation remains glorious, that, that you're uh, viewed as someone who is truthful and trustworthy and dependable, and as you share the word, they say, look at their life, it's consistent with this, even though I don't understand it, so that when somebody comes along and says, this is the message, they're not saying the Christian that I know and work with is uh, horrendous, you know? We, we, we share faithfully, even if we are in a time or a place of gospel barrenness. Sooner or later, spiritual opportunity will show up. And this is what happens for, for, for Paul. It says on, on, in verse 13 that there is suddenly a spiritual opportunity. They're in Philippi, right? And it says on the Sabbath day, that's Saturday, we went outside the gate to the riverside where we supposed there was a place of prayer. And we sat down and spoke to the women who'd come together. They weren't experiencing any fruit. There wasn't any gospel fruit, but they knew of the good promises of the Father, right? Jesus had said in his lifetime, my sheep know my voice and they follow me. And he had said in John chapter 10, verse 16, I have other sheep who are not of this fold, speaking of Israel. Meaning this, when you go out and you preach the gospel and you share it, those whom God, those whom God is calling to himself will respond to that message. They will. You just need to find them. Charles Spurgeon, or maybe it was William Carey, had said that if, that if God marked all those who were believers with a, a yellow mark on their back, he'd have gone up and down the street pulling people's shirts up. But God doesn't mark people that way. 
what he does is he calls us to proclaim the word and then people will respond to his call through the preaching of his word. So they're not experiencing any fruit, but they know the promises of the Father, and so they keep at it, and they go looking for a place with spiritual people in it. Why do they go to that place, this place, outside the gate to the riverside? Two possibilities. One is that they heard that there was a place of prayer, and so they went seeking it. Okay. Second... Rumor has it, and I say that because I, I, I looked it up and the closest source I found was on the internet. Um, and you know how the internet works. Uh, some stuff is true and some isn't, but this seems true. I learned that the Mishnah, which is a, a Hebrew commentary on the Bible, says this. When there's no synagogue and you are far from home as a Jew, right? That means there, there's no synagogue where there's less than 10 Jewish men. Okay, 10 Jewish guys, you open a synagogue. That's, that's, that's the way it works. When there's less than 10 Jewish men, if you go a mile and a half out of the town, to the west, find the nearest body of water, and that's the prescribed place of prayer. Okay? Now, I, I think there's one reason why this is legitimate. Because in the Bible, when, when Jerusalem was destroyed and they were out in captivity, in Psalm 137 they say, uh, by the waters of Babylon we hung our harps and wept when we remembered Jerusalem. And so this tradition of, of having an assigned place of prayer where people can gather, right? When, when, when you uh, do fire safety in grade school, what do they tell you? They say, go home now that you're all nervous that your house is going to burn down and, and go after your parents and make sure that those fire, uh, uh, the, the, the smoke alarm batteries are changed, right? And this is good advice. It's good, you know. Of course, if you're in the habit of changing them as a responsible parent and your kids come home and they're like, that's the fire alarms, you know, and they're testing them constantly, that, that tends to wear on your nerves just a little bit. But they say, make an escape plan, right? And what do they say? Find an assigned meeting space so that if everybody escapes the house together, they all go to the same place. Everybody doesn't go to a different place. You all gather in the place. That's one possibility. That this is the synagogue light because they don't have enough people to form a synagogue. Or it might be this, that this is the place where spiritual people went to pray. No idea what they believe no idea what they're devoted to, but that's where they gather. And religious groups from time immemorial have been carving out places where they set up their idol or they make their shrine, and that's where they go and they practice their religion. They pray. Let me just point something out to you, brothers and sisters. I believe it's the Barna group who does surveys, and they've said that now more than ever, even though... To some degree, atheism is on the rise in our country. People are as spiritual as ever. They're interested in spiritual things. They're interested in angels, and they're interested in healing, and they're interested in meaning and purpose and all these things. But connect that up with this other fact. When they turn looking for spiritual enlightenment, they do not go to the church. Where do they go? They turn on PBS. Right, every week after Downton Abbey is over, right, what comes on? Some special about supercharging your spiritual life. And here's some guy talking about positivity, right? And people are like, this is amazing. And then they're like, go online and, and, and find a group of people who are talking about this. And what they do is they meet up at Barnes and Noble or Starbucks or whatever, and they read the latest book and they discuss their spirituality. There are pockets of spiritual people all over the place. And the church can't wait for them to just walk through the front doors. Many times we need to identify where they are and go out and find them and go and share with them. Now, you might be really nervous about doing that. But let me say this. Armed with your Christian worldview, with, with the scriptures, with the promises of God, and what you know about your Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, you can ask two simple questions that put you in a position to share the gospel. And they're simple. And non-intimidating, you can say this. What are your spiritual beliefs? What, what, what do you believe about God? 
what do, what do you believe about eternal things? What do you believe about life after death? What do you believe about heaven and hell? Or what do you believe about the Quran if somebody's talking about Islam? You just ask them that question. And then listen to what they say. And then you can say, you want to know what I believe? And then you share. Isn't that simple? It's not hard. And then you share what you know. Opportunity is all around us. It is all around us. There are spiritual people surrounding us all over who are earnestly seeking some kind of higher connection. I got a book from a, a woman who was emptying her library years and years and years ago, and on the cover uh, of, of the book, the, the title of the book is, is All Men Seek God, right? And then in it are all these quotes about people seeking spiritual fulfillment from all different people from all different religions. And the testimony is that all people, in some sense, are seeking some connection to spiritual things because we all know that something's wrong and that life shouldn't be like this. The problem is we're not seeking God in the way that we ought. So when we turn to the book of Romans, we find right there in chapter 1, it says, no one seeks God. No one seeks Him in the way that they ought. They need to be told the message. I'm getting ahead of myself. Uh, talk about this in just one second. Ah, let's talk about it now. The woman who listened. Paul Paul can't find opportunity, and he's, he's sharing, and he's, he's looking, and he's seeking, and he's, he's, he's trying to share, and he's perhaps getting shut down, or nothing's happening. And so he goes to this spiritual place where this group of people is, and he prays, and he talks there to the women who'd come together. And then we learn about the woman who listened. Verse 14 says, One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods, and she was a worshiper of God. One person responds to the message. One person responds to what Paul and his group of people are saying. Matthew Henry says this. He says, it's not enough to be worshipers of God. We must be believers in Jesus Christ. It's not enough to be worshipers of God. We must be believers in Jesus Christ. See, I believe that, that the American concern for spirituality is a positive development. This is good. If people are interested in angels, we can have conversations about angels with them because it's really just a hop, skip, and a jump to the gospel from I'm interested in angels, isn't it? I mean, if somebody's like, you know, I, I believe in angels. I believe in the power of prayer. You can, you can say, power of prayer? Cool. Who are you praying to? How do you know that he will answer? How do you know that he's good? You know, and you, you can get right into it. You could just hop, skip, and jump right to the gospel. So, so it's good that people want to be spiritual, but it's not enough, is it? It's like being really thirsty and being by a vending machine that has all the kinds of stuff that you desire to parch your thirst. And what's a soda now? A buck 25? Ugh. You know, I've got a dollar. That's what I've got. All I need is a quarter. I need a little bit more information. And who carries cash anymore anyways? You know, I'm like, does this thing take my card? Can I use my phone to interact with it? Help me. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. Then you go around begging. Do you have a quarter? And people are like, no, go away. Go back to your side of town. And you're like, no, really? I'm Thursday. That's the condition of the world. Seeking. Unable to find. And Romans chapter 1 says, suppressing the truth in unrighteousness. The condition of the world is, is that we're aware in the back of our mind that something is, is wrong and we desire life change and we know that our life is going off the rails, so many of us, but we don't realize that we've got one hand behind our back 
holding the, 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 the chute or the, the lever that would dispense the truth to us closed. And we don't realize it because we're suppressing the truth in unrighteousness. And what we need is the gospel to break through. We need God to deliver us from our own unrighteousness, and we need someone to share the gospel with us. It says that one person responded. If you know anything about gardening, if you love gardening, you know this. You've got to sow lots and lots and lots and lots of seeds, right? And then when sprouts come up and seeds begin to grow, what do the instructions on the packet say? They say, plant them this far apart, plant this many, and then after a certain amount of time, thin them out, right? There are going to be those seeds that just do not grow. So you've got to sow and sow and sow so that some of the seeds will grow. Why did God open her heart? Two reasons. One, by grace, God made her his child. And this is the transformational work of God alone. The Bible says this. I think this is probably the clearest place where it's laid out in Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians 2 says, You were dead in trespasses and sins in which you you once walked. This is a condition of the whole world. If you don't know Christ and haven't trusted in Christ yet for your salvation, this is your condition. Brothers and sisters, everyone that you know who's not put their faith and trust in Christ, this is their condition. Dead in sins and trespasses following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. We were by nature children of wrath. That means that we deserved the wrath of God. All humanity deserves that. That's our condition. But here's the goodness and grace of God in verse 4 of Ephesians 2. It says, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, Paul's emphasizing here, we didn't do anything. We didn't, we didn't show up at a, at, a, at a church service and put some money in the plate and God's like, oh, that person's worthy of salvation. We weren't like praying and God's like, oh, I become aware of this person. When we're, when we're dead in our sins and our trespasses, as vile as we could possibly be, it says that God made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved. He raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. By grace you've been saved through faith. This is not your own doing It's the grace of God. It's the gift of God, rather, not a result of works so that no one may boast. God is a good and kind and generous and merciful Father. Those who have strayed far from him, he reaches out to them to reconcile despite their sinfulness. This is good news, brothers and sisters. And if you don't know Christ... And you're saying, could God forgive me for this or for that? The answer is yes. He is good and kind and he gives salvation. He gives his grace as a gift. It's not the result, verse 9 says, of our works so that no one may boast. Why did the Lord open Lydia's heart? Two reasons. By grace, he made her his child. It's the work of God alone which saved Lydia. But second, God opened her heart because of Paul's obedience in preaching the word. God is the active means by which this woman is saved, but the secondary means by which she is saved, the the activating work is Paul's preaching of the word. And this is the work of God and man together in the world. The Bible says in Romans chapter 10, verse 17, that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. Faith comes by hearing. People, this is what the Bible is saying, believe when they hear, 
and hearing comes through the word of Christ, which means that people believe when they are presented with the message, and the message is presented when God's word is presented. Paul responds to her condition. She is excited about spirituality, excited enough to to leave her purple business. By the way, the selling of purple is an elite trade in Rome. Only certain kinds of people, rich people, government people, nobles were allowed to wear purple. So this means she caters to an exclusive clientele. But she cares enough to, on the Sabbath day, go to this place to pray And when she goes, Paul addresses her spiritual enthusiasm and says, this is the truth, walk in it. And he calls her to Christ. He responds to her condition. It's not enough for someone to be a worshiper of God. We must be believers in Jesus Christ. What might Paul have said to her? Think of some of the things that show up in the scriptures. Peter says in Acts 4.12 that there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. We can read John 14.6, which our brother read up here this morning, one way. We could read it in a kind of a nice way a broad, expansive way where Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Or we could view it in this bottleneck, narrow, exclusivistic sense in which Jesus says it. He says this, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. In that book, All men seek God. There's a quote that says something to the effect of all roads lead to Mount Fuji, right? Obviously, somebody from Japan said that because we would probably say all roads lead to New York City or all roads lead to Rome, the Italians said. But this is the truth. The way is broad that leads to destruction. But narrow is the path that leads to life, and few there are who find it. That's what Jesus said. And he says, no one comes to the Father except through me. There is salvation in no one else. We must be believers in Jesus Christ. That is where God the Father is working. There's no other name under heaven given by which men must be saved. We must be believers in Jesus Christ. That may sound exclusive and negative, but it's good. Look at 1 John 4.10, where John, the disciple whom Jesus loved, says this, In this is love. This is the definition of love. This is how we see love expressed in the world. Not that we loved God, because the truth is we don't seek after God. We love ourselves more than we love God. We love our families more than we love God. We love our comfort more than we love God. We love our thinking and our independence and our freedom and our stomachs more than we love God. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us. That God loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Propitiation, a word seldom used, but such a good, powerful, beautiful Bible word. Propitiation means the offering which turns away wrath. All human beings are born with sin on their account and will righteously be punished at the end of their days for their sins. But God loves us so much that he sends his son to be the offering So that when Jesus goes to that cross and takes the sins of the world upon himself, God's anger is fully satisfied like like we sung. On that cross, when Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied. For every sin on him was laid here in the death of Christ. I live. Jesus is that offering which turns away wrath for us because God loves us 
and desires to spare us. Romans 5, 8, God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And so Paul speaks the word into this spiritual setting, and God opens this woman's heart by means of the word, and she believes, and heaven rejoices as a sinner. That the world may have looked at her as a good person and a, and a spiritual person and somebody who's interested in God, she comes to a full knowledge and heaven erupts in joy as this person, this woman, Lydia, becomes a child of God. She is adopted. She gains the right, because she believes in the Son, to be called a child of God, according to John 1.12. She becomes part of the family of Christ, part of our family. God is a father, and he loves his children, and many of his children are separated from him, and he calls to them in mercy to be reconciled to him. He calls them back to himself. Isn't this one of the most difficult tasks of parenting, brothers and sisters? For those of us who've been blessed to be parents, to tell our children that though they stand in opposition and rebellion in a particular behavior at a particular time, that if they will repent, if they will own up to their behavior and ask for mercy, we'll give it to them. Isn't that hard? It's so difficult to, to, to be loving and, and hard and soft and merciful, but our Father does it perfectly. He holds out His arms, the Bible says, all day long to a disobedient and stiff-necked people. Open arms welcoming anybody who desires to repent home. And she responds. It says, after she was baptized and her household as well, she urged us, saying, if you've judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. Paul was probably like, yeah, let's baptize you. You can be a follower of Jesus. We got our own place. Don't worry about it. She's like, no, 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 stay in my house. Stay in my house. I'll put your whole team up. You can all stay here. You could, this could be your home and your base. And please come. And Paul's like, nah, nah, we're all right. No, come, 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 come. She prevailed. She won. This is victory. She's like, yes, I got them in my house. And then she's probably like, tell me about this. Tell me about that. She wants to know. She's hungry. She desires to know more. She was baptized. If you're a follower of Christ and you've never been baptized, this is that first step of obedience. Identifying with Christ in a public believer's baptism. You can get baptized on the 30th at Assateague. That'll be cool. Your family will be gathered around. Your family in Christ, and they'll all clap and cheer for you when you come up out of the water. Buried with Christ in baptism raised to walk in newness of life. Come and talk to me if you'd like to do that. She demonstrated a changed heart and a new life. Because when she heard the word, the word of her own need before God, she responded to it. She believed the message that was proclaimed. If you're here this morning and you don't know Christ, you have no assurance of salvation, you're depending on your own works or the fact that you grew up in a Christian home or the fact that you put some money in the offering plate, let me tell you, this is a dangerous place to be. But the good news is that if you'll repent and put your trust in the gospel, God will give you life and he desires to do that. For those of us who are part of the family of God already, let me encourage you this. Be broken for those who need Christ. Listen to what Luke says. Luke and Acts, same author, connected. Same consistent ideas throughout both books. Jesus said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful. There are spiritual people gathered in quotes around rivers everywhere in book clubs everywhere, reading spiritual books and having spiritual conversations, waiting for someone to speak the word to them. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few, Jesus says. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. At this point, they fold their hands and they pray and they say, Father, send laborers out as we have been commanded 
to pray, Lord, send laborers out that those who desire or who, who need to hear the word whom you desire to come to you will be, will be reached. And then they say, in Jesus' name, amen. And then Jesus says in verse 3, after finishing up verse 2, after they, they pray, he says, go your way. Behold, I'm sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. God's plan A for Salisbury, brothers and sisters, is us, not someone else. The hope of Salisbury here in this room, Jesus Christ proclaimed by faithful evangelists who will just be faithful to sow the seed. That's the will of your father on Father's Day. Will you gladden his heart and the hearts of all who serve him by coming to Christ, putting your faith and trust in him, or by responding and sharing the word? Each and every Monday, you get a whole new work week, a whole new audience, a whole new set of opportunities to share. Will you take it for the glory of God and for the glory of your Savior? We're going to close in prayer. If you've, if you've been urged by the Spirit to respond to God's word, whether by repenting of the sin of silence when opportunity has presented itself or repenting of your sins and trusting Christ for salvation, I urge you some folks will be up front here to pray. You can come forward and talk to them, talk to me and pray. But the, the band is going to come, we're going to pray, and then we're going to close in song. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your grace and your kindness toward us. We thank you for your love and your mercy towards the world. We thank you for your goodness and your grace. We pray, Father, that you would help us to be bold and respond to the preaching of your word. Whether we find ourselves lost, disconnected, spiritually seeking, and in need of, of closure, in need of, a need of making things right with you, Father, may we respond to that word. I pray that anybody who's been convicted, Father, would come forward, that they would respond, that they would announce their faith and belief to someone that they love and trust. And that they would enter the family today. Father, for anybody who's convicted of the sin of silence, I pray that they would be bold. Lord, whether they come forward and repent or whether they repent in their seat, Father, may it bear fruit. And may the word go forward. Father, I pray that we would be bold enough to say, what are your beliefs? And then listen and then say, do you mind if I share my beliefs and share your word boldly? Father, you're good, you're loving, and you are in the world working not to condemn it for it's condemned already, but to save it. We pray your grace and blessing on the remainder of our day. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, our Heavenly Father, and thank you, Holy Spirit, for dwelling in us and working through us each and every day. We pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Thank you.